Welcome to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, where our team of former college coaches, players, and MLB scouts tackle the most critical college recruiting topics. With guests including college coaches, MLB pro scouts, and industry insiders, we will empower you with the tips and strategies needed to gain an advantage in your college recruiting process. The Sports Force Podcast is powered by our partner, Five Tool Baseball. Okay, let's start the show. All right, well, we have Coach Hill joining us from uh, from Colorado. Um, Coach, how's your day going? Going pretty good. We got a little snow on the ground in May, but uh, I guess that's part of the Colorado stuff, especially up in the mountains. No doubt about it. Um, well, you know, we want to kind of dive right into some, uh, some of the college recruiting process. Obviously, you've been coached over 30 years uh, at the Division One and Division Two level. Um, you mind kind of just uh, giving us a little intro in terms of how you got uh, into coaching after your playing career wrapped up? Yeah, I think it's something that was always going to be uh, part of my life was going to be coaching. I was in my family and and uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, play four and a half years of professional baseball, finished up my degree. So I was prepared after uh, my minor league career was over to jump right in and, and uh, be able to coach. So I was uh, head coach at Hudson Community College. Uh, worked out really well for me there. Uh, one of my former coaches actually was a previous coach, and he went to uh, the University of Kansas with my former head coach and uh, had some contacts back in that area that, that helped promote me a little bit, and the interview process went well, and that was the start of my coaching career in junior college as a head coach. And Spent four years there and, and uh, wasn't where I probably needed to be as a head coach from a knowledge standpoint and how to manage all the things that go with running a program. So I went to be the uh, uh, hitting coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Kansas with my mentor and, and college coach Dave Bingham. Uh, spent four years there and, and uh, got to experience uh, College World Series in Omaha and, and uh, you know learned a lot, learned a lot about how to manage a team, how to go through the things that a head coach has to do from, from PR standpoint, alumni relations, uh, learning the other phases of the game. I wasn't obviously as an outfielder and a hitter, didn't know much about infield play or pitching or catching and uh, tried to fine tune some of those things and went on to central Missouri state was there uh, nine years and, and nice success there following Dave Van Horn, who obviously is probably one of the best coaches in the nation. And from there, got the opportunity to go to uh, Division One, big, uh, big twelve school in Kansas State. Had an opening uh, in 2004, and, and jumped in there and, and spent 15 years at Kansas State, and kind of took a program that that was on some hard times, and and uh, finished up one game away from Omaha in 2013 in the Big 12 championship, and and then uh, finished up my career there just this last June. Awesome. Well, you're in some select company. Not many college coaches have, uh, have been a head coach, uh, for that long, um, at that many, um, uh, at, at two different levels like you have. So, um, would love to kind of dive in on just, you know, your experience, uh, as a former head coach, also as a recruiting coordinator, you know, what were some of the, you know, the challenges that you had, you know, on trying to, you know, see a bunch of the players, uh, have your staff kind of evaluate players um, and really get the right kids into your program? I think the biggest challenge is, is more kids that you just can't get your eyes on. There's tournaments and, and uh, you know, local places you're trying to see, and then you start going national and regional, and 
there's just more kids than what you're able to go see as a coach. And you're always fearful that you're missing somebody and uh, particularly local. You'd never want to miss anybody local or in your region. And so you're, you're really busting your, you know, your tail trying to get everywhere that you can be, but it's impossible. You just cannot see everybody that's out there on a list and, and uh, you miss a lot of kids. Absolutely. And, and we've talked about kind of the recruiting timeline, um, you know, in your experience, um, you know, what have you seen in terms of how early, you know, some of your, some of your colleagues would get, you know, starting to see players and scout players, uh, you know, at some of the top division one schools. Well, that, that's really changed through the years. Obviously when I was first coming up that, that you went to see them, uh, the summer prior to their senior year and try to see them four or five times and make decisions prior to their senior year. And now, you know, particularly you start talking about uh, the perfect game, you start talking about going to, to Atlanta, and there, there's nobody there for the juniors, <laughs> or very few are there for the juniors. Everybody's camped out watching the freshmen and sophomores. And uh, so they're three to four years out now, and everybody's trying to get ahead and see and try to make projections on who they think are going to be, you know, whether that's power five or whether it's uh, just a, a division one type prospect. Everyone's trying to make those decisions, you know, as, as freshmen in high school. And that's, that's very difficult to sometimes make those projections. Kids have a lot of changes that take place during two or three years prior to that, that junior year for sure. But that's how it's changed. It's gone from really trying to see kids prior to the senior year to now seeing them, pretty much prior to their sophomore year. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously recruiting multiple classes concurrently um, is, a, is a huge challenge. Um, give us an idea. Let's say you were um, at K-State and you were recruiting, let's say, a, uh, you know, the class of sophomores, uh, you know, which right now is, you know, 2021s. Um, about how many players um, might you guys as a, as a program, you know, have a name of and, and kind of be following, um, you know, from position players to pitchers, just in general, kind of a, an overall view of not how many players you maybe are having phone calls with yet, but uh, just names of guys that you're, you know, you're tracking and uh, you're hoping to see maybe over the summer. Sure. I think it could almost be a 10 per position, to be honest with you. If you're looking for a catcher, you may have 10 catchers that you're corresponding with through, you know, whether email or whatever it might be uh, that yep. you can do that with. So you're, you're, you're talking, if it's 10 catchers and, you know, it might be 15 shortstops. And if you're looking for an outfielder, you're probably talking about 10 or 12 there. So you start adding that up. And again, depending on what your list is going to be, but you're always going to re recruit from that earliest stage, because you don't know what your roster is going to do that far out, you're probably recruiting almost every position because you may not think you need a first baseman. And then 18 months later, you need a first baseman. So you have everybody on your list. So if you have anywhere from eight to 12 to 15 kids per position, uh, that's you do the math. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. And that, that blows the mind of most um, parents and players and sometimes even, you know, high school coaches that are thinking about this uh, is just your son might be getting some personal interest from a college coach, whether that's they're requesting, you know, 
your son to give them a phone call or they're at a point where they can do text messaging or direct messaging or um, and how many other players they might be concurrently doing the exact same thing with. Yeah, I don't think you're right. I don't think they have any idea that they think their son is the guy and uh, he is one of a lot of guys. Exactly. So, you know, just kind of knowing what you're what what you're getting into um, is a huge deal for these uh, for these players and parents and families going through it. Um, kind of with with that said, talking about that recruiting, you know, that funnel um, now. You also had the experience of recruiting, you know, players all the way into, you know, the senior year and being able to make decisions, you know, sometimes really late. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? And maybe um, obviously it's more stressful the later it gets um, as a family and as a player going through it. But why don't you share a little bit of, I guess, how late it can go for uh, for certain schools? Yeah, quite honestly, you could you could pick up a really nice scholarship in June, um, maybe even July with a draft. I mean, you can pick up a really nice scholarship after your senior year. Um, it's possible. I'm not saying that that's the way you want to plan it out, but I also think that some people get really impatient and particularly kids and, you know, everyone wants that glamor of putting up there. I'm committed to whoever as a sophomore and, and, uh, trying to do it early. And sometimes that early decision isn't the best decision either. So, you know, we've recruited because of things happening to roster via it could be it could be grades uh, at our place. We never really had that instance too many, too many times. But the draft does come into play. Uh, kids maybe want to transfer to get closer to home could come into play. And now all of a sudden you're sitting there with with a spot open as a catcher and you really need a catcher really bad. And now you're sitting there with with maybe due depletion of a scholarship. You have a 70 percent scholarship sitting there in June for a catcher that is still sitting there, maybe he's committed to a junior college and now the opportunity arises for him to go play at a division one university. On the flip side, on, from the college side standpoint, there's also other colleges doing the same thing. So that puts, you know, there's a lot of competition sometimes for that four or five catchers that may still be out there because there may be 15 colleges looking for that one catcher. and There's only four or five available. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, kind of in your, you know, in your 30 plus years of college coaching, um, what were some of and what do you see as some of the common, you know, mistakes that that players are making? And then we'll jump into kind of what what parents are making. Uh, probably right now, make a decision way too quick. Um, you know, you, you make that early decision and, you know, everybody's excited about it. And then things change. It just, things change. Coaching staffs are changing now quickly. And uh, the need may change for what a program may have. Um, they may find, unfortunately, they may find somebody else they want more during the two years that you're waiting to show up on campus. There may be somebody else up here that that college decides they want more. So I think the early decision-making is, is it's way too early now. And I think even the coaches, college coaches agree with that too. They're having to commit to kids because everyone else is out there pressuring those kids to make decisions. So you're going to follow what the crowd's doing and you want to get a commitment, but it may not even be the right fit for the college at that time. So to me, that's the biggest mistake that's being made right now is way too early of a decision without really deciphering through what is the best choice and the best fit. 
Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts about, you know, the challenge for parents and players to be realistic about the level of school uh, that their kids might be a good fit for? Right. And again, that boils down to sometimes making that decision early. Uh, you know, co college coaches are trying to project and they may project you as being a division one player. It may not turn out that way. You may look like that as a sophomore, but if you don't progress and get better, and if you're not that way before the uh, letter of intent is to be signed, the national signing day, they'll probably come up with a way to not sign you. So it's, that's, that's again, kind of the, the difficult challenge is making that quick decision. So parents need to be very realistic and, and really kind of how many people at that level are really recruiting you, you know, is, is there 10, 12, 15 division one schools really knocking on your door and serious about it? Or is it maybe the one or two? Um, if there's none, then obviously you need to probably reevaluate if you think your son's a division one player and there's not a division one school calling you or contacting you, then you probably need to reevaluate, uh, uh, what your perspective is of your son too. Sure. And, um, you know, as, as you kind of dive in on that a little bit more, um, being realistic, you know, if you were to say, what does an evaluation kind of entail, you know, from, from your perspective, um, if you kind of walk through that, if you're, you know, right now looking at a, a sophomore or a junior, um, what are you looking for, um, you know, in your evaluation of that player? Well, first of all, yeah, you look at number one, what's his talent and skill level at that time? How skilled is he? I mean, is he already a six, seven runner as a sophomore? Is he already throwing 87, 88 as a sophomore? I mean, those kids make it a little bit easier to project. You know, is he hitting the, is he, is he hitting the ball 400 feet with power? Uh, what are his actions in the infield? And, and, you know, it's, those are things you look at right now, but then on the other hand, is he, is he six, three and 170 pounds and he's throwing 82, 83, but the motion's clean. And, and, you also look, you really dive deep and you start looking at also what, uh, what's the, the parental background or family background? What type of athletes were they? Uh, there's a lot of things you start diving into that, that allow you to make a decision on a young man, even though he may not talent level be there yet. There's other things that you kind of project out and try to investigate to make your decision on whether or not you think he's going to be at a, a division one level or division two or whatever level you, there's things you dive into and research. Yeah. And I, and I, I know you probably feel the same, but it's been very, very rare occurrence where a family uh, or parent can be a hundred percent objective on evaluating their own kid. They're either going to be, you know, too positive in terms of their outlook um, of their potential and their ability, or they might even be on the negative side. Um, you know, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, and I think the hard part is is that a parent sees his son hitting 450 in high school, and there's another kid that's hitting 350, yet the kid hitting 350 is being recruited by seven or eight Division ones, and his kid's being recruited by junior colleges or Division twos, and he can't figure out why, you know. Statistics don't mean a darn thing. Uh, they don't mean anything. You go evaluate, you see – uh, you know, so uh, the statistics in high school don't mean a thing. Uh, unfortunately, parents think they do. 
Um, they compare them to other kids, and sometimes they think their 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 son is better than another young man that's being recruited out there. But but again, I think the numbers will kind of justify that a lot of times. If the other young man is being recruited by eight or ten schools, and your son's not, that that should be a reality check. Yeah, I think another reality check um, is that right now that September one of the junior year, you know, if you're not receiving uh, personal phone calls, you're not receiving, you know, text messages, uh, then you're you're not getting recruited flat out. Oh, no question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we know we're on the phone. It is almost twenty four seven that all three coaches are going to be on the phone almost. Uh, touching base with the kids that they have the most interest in at that time. Yeah. And, and let me ask you, you know, the um, talking about that evaluation even more academically, um, Kansas state was an easier school to get into um, than some other high academic schools. But how did that, uh, how did you, when you're looking at two kids um, that have very similar ability on paper and one of them's got a 3.5, one of them's got a 3.0. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts when you looked at a player when you're going head to head academically as well? Right. I mean, academics comes into play a lot because, again, with limited scholarships, then the academic scholarship could come into play. Now, all of a sudden, you've just, instead of 11.7, now all of a sudden you've added maybe a guy on an academic scholarship that's not going to count against your 11.7. So, again, a place like Kansas State or other places, but we had, you know, you knew right away if the kid was going to be a 3.5 and had a, a 22 ACT, he's going to get a nice little academic scholarship. And if jumped up to 25, he got a great academic scholarship. So, and if you look at two kids, then all of a sudden, if you're competing with other schools and you can offer, you have 30% baseball sitting there and there's two kids and one kid has a 3.5 and he's going to get eight or 10 grand in academics and the other kid is not, you're probably wiser to go for the kid that you can stack and, and give a bigger scholarship to because your chances of maybe getting him to commit are going to be a lot greater. Um, so I think that's, that's a big part of it. Again, on the academic side, one, can you give some academic money to either preserve your 11.7 or to go get a kid, give him a really good scholarship and maybe beat out another school or two that, that, are not doing that but number two is also you see the higher gpa then you know maybe the discipline in the classroom is, is probably a little bit better you feel a bit better that you don't have to keep your thumb on him monitor him as much because he already has some some uh again some accountability uh what he's going to do in the classroom some self-discipline to be able to turn off the tv at night and go go get some studies done so you don't have to worry as much about those kids as well either 100 percent, and um you know, talking about, we talked about signing early or just feeling the pressure to make that decision early is, is a common mistake. The uh, being realistic or often unrealistic. Um, what about the mistake, you know, in terms of families or parents, players, just feeling the pressure to try to go to as many different showcases and camps as possible? Yeah, and again, that's... That's why I think having some type of a plan in place of where you might want to go, what level do you want to play at, um, the showcases, you know, are there a number of different levels of schools represented from NEIA to Division Three, Division Two, junior colleges, 
is there a number of, of uh, again, levels being represented, or is it just basically one school that's going to be there? Um, again, you start trying to make a number of uh, <laughs> plans, whether it's travel, uh, the cost to attend the showcase, the dollars can really start adding up. So I think you need to have, again, a plan in place, be realistic again on where you see yourself, what level you could be playing at. And then number two is, this, does the showcase provide a lot of eyes that are going to be on you in terms of different levels. So you can, again, be represented in front of different schools at different levels, which also gives you a better chance to be evaluated and maybe a better chance to attract the interest of somebody. Sure. And also, you know, the players, are they ready to be um, exposed and have that exposure opportunity? Um, you know, and is it going to be a positive experience? If it, if a right-hander is a sophomore throwing you know, 75 miles an hour um, with just average stuff, that's nowhere near being ready to showcase to college coaches and spending the time and the money. Uh, or a junior, you know, who's like 78 to, you know, 78 miles an hour and doesn't have much positive secondary stuff yet either. It's like prioritizing your money as a family toward the best return on investment um, is a huge deal. Right. And again, you know, that's kind of a family preference, but a lot of families out there do not have the money to just be throwing around for their young man to make the, the tour to every power five school in the country to go to their camp. I mean, that's, I mean, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not realistic. It's not worth doing it. And, and, and that's just part of the business. I mean, I was at Kansas state, we, you know, we, we wanted to be able to fund our volunteer assistant coach, which unfortunately is still in place, but uh, you know, you wanted to fund that. And then, like I said, so, so you're sending out mass emails and you have, you know, we have a hundred kids in camp at Kansas state. There's liable to be five or six really division one potential type kids there. And the others are basically writing a check for my volunteer coach. Yeah, this, that's a huge distinction. If you're a parent listening in on this, um, if you're not qualifying the camps and showcases, um, in a very, um, detailed manner in terms of is your son a good fit for them does this make sense is the timing right um you're liable to waste thousands of dollars uh easily just over a summer chasing down some of the wrong stuff um so uh great point there coach and um as as you think about you know some of the common recruiting mistakes that parents are making um and i know you've dealt with some parents that were just a nightmare uh, probably in the recruiting process, but you know, what did, and there's obviously a huge amount of great parents out there, but what did you see as some of the mistakes that parents can make, um, as you and your staff were recruiting? Well, I think again, just probably speaking more than they should speaking for their son, not allowing their son to really express. I mean, if, if, if the young man is not expressing his goals and his desires and his you know, what, what he wants to get out of college from a baseball academic education standpoint, then it's the dad maybe wanting to go to school, play baseball, and get an education. So, again, parents need to kind of guide them, but let the young man still be the main decision maker. And, again, try to, to help them but not be the voice for them. That's a big deal. And then – Obviously, the dads that still try to, you know, again, 
over promote their kids saying he's done this, he's done that. I mean, nobody wants to hear those things. We, we've seen with our eyes what the young man can do. We don't need dad trying to oversell or mom. Mom can do that too. We've had moms want to oversell how good their sons are sometimes. You know, let, let the young man, again, try to be himself and let him express. Does he have that, again, that independence that he can come to school and have a plan for himself and not be relying on mom and dad to make all the decisions for him. Yeah, that's a huge deal. And along that uh, line, you know, we'll talk about this, but, you know, we kind of guide our players on how to communicate, what questions to ask college coaches, um, when to ask certain questions and, and, and also, educate the parents on when their role should be involved and when they should start having communication with, with college coaches as well. Um, we talked previously about, you know, dreading, you know, the call with the player, um, you know, who doesn't communicate well versus the other type of player. You mind kind of shedding a little bit of light on that? Yeah, it's, a, it's funny because it's just, you deal with it. And, you know, right now, even myself, when I'm working with some of these young players in high school now and, and, uh, you know, 13 year olds and 14 year olds, I mean, the worst thing you do is just the kid that will not look you in the eye and address you and be able to have some type of a, a conversation without just not looking at you. Uh-huh. One answer, you know, the one word answers, you know, you want, you want to call a kid that, that again, is, has some personality can't carry on a conversation and I'm saying he has to, you know, uh, be the most talkative person in the world, but, but can he have a good, uh, mature conversation with you? Ask good questions, uh, answer in more than again, one word type answers. And, uh, you're looking for a kid again, that you want to pick up the phone and call. You don't dread picking up the phone and calling this young man because he's, a, he's, he's enjoyable to visit with. And, uh, so I think that's the big thing for kids. Just, you know, be able to express yourself, ask some questions, be able to give more than the one uh, word answer and uh, ask the coach questions, you know, be able to engage with the coach, you know, talk to him about a little bit about his personal life too. Sometimes how his family's doing, or, you know, again, just be able to, to have a nice, enjoyable conversation is, is critical because you kind of look at that. Sometimes you make a decision on that too, which kid you enjoy. If you're making a decision between two kids, doesn't boil down to talent. Sometimes if it's really close, it may boil down to who has that good personality that you want to be at practice around every day too. Absolutely. I mean, coaches are making decisions based on chemistry relationships. Are they going to fit the team culture? Um, all those type of things are, are a big deal. Um, so hundred percent there. And as you think about, um, you know, making those decisions, um, what percentage, if you were to guess, your staff, let's say, is having phone conversations with, you know, 50 to 75 players that are juniors and or sophomores or more? Um, I'm just curious in, 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 your, in your experience, what percentage of players really were kind of charismatic and had great personality over the phone that were enjoyable for you or your staff to be able to talk to? Well, I think, again, at first it might be 50%, but again, as you start pairing your, your names down, 
that's going to shrink down a little bit. Um, or it's actually the percentage is going to go up because you're eliminating the guys that you don't want to call and have conversations with. You can't take them off your list sometimes. I mean, it better be, man, I mean, it has to be a great player. Seems like it's going to fit everything but maybe the personality. But personality does come into play big time. So, again, as you pare down your list, that number will go up because you will only call the guys you have enjoyable conversations sure. with. Yeah, that makes total that makes total sense. Um, and you know, in terms of families going through this, uh, the recruiting process, often for the first time, um, I guess in your opinion and your experience, you know, why do you think families uh, can benefit from getting, you know, some some guidance um, with someone who's got, you know, like the track record or, or, or experience that you have? Well, I think, again, because I've seen, you know, I've experienced just the good and the bad, and I've experienced it for 30 years about wrong decisions, good decisions. But I also think that we've had kids commit to where I've been that had no idea who we were, didn't know who Kansas State was, didn't know anything about our facility, didn't know anything about our school. Uh, You know, same thing, Central Missouri didn't have any idea who central Missouri was. And all of a sudden when people get educated, that there are other really nice places out there that they had no idea were available to them. I think that's the big thing that, that, uh, you know, again, sports force and what we can do for them is, is open up doors. They never thought were there and at schools that they are, you know, are surprised at what all they have to offer and finding that that school is actually a great fit for them, and they didn't even know they existed. I didn't know when I was going – I didn't know there were any schools outside of Kansas when I was coming out. So I would have loved to have known about schools in Texas or Nebraska or anywhere besides just Kansas, but that's all I knew. Yeah, opening that – opening their minds uh, to the possibilities is, is a huge deal. I mean, you got – just thinking about college baseball – you know, you have almost 300 Division One schools. You got uh, well over uh, 200 Division Two schools, uh, almost 400 Division Three schools, um, and just under 200 NAIA programs. I mean, that's a that's those are just four-year programs, and then you go into junior college. So, just the concept of you know you don't know what you don't know is is a huge. Um, I think issue that that families and players are battling, you know, in this process. Right. And I would really encourage, you know, again, for, for parents and young men, again, to really sit down and have that conversation about what do you really want? What do you want to do? Where would you like to go? And just really have that conversation and try not to limit themselves. Don't, don't limit yourself because again, that's a big mistake that that school may be, you know, it may be two states over, may really concern mom a little bit, but that's what the young man wants to do. And it's a great fit. Everything's right. And uh, so so don't limit. That would be the big thing I would just, uh, my advice. Sure. Absolutely. And um, going back to kind of the college coaches uh, process in recruiting, um, how helpful is it, you know, as a as a college coach to be able to talk with someone that you trust, uh, that can give you an honest evaluation about the player, give you a background about the family. Um, I'm just, as, as you're trying to narrow down, you know, the, 
eight to 10 kids per recruiting class. I'm just curious how big of a deal was that, you know, for you to be able to talk with people you can trust? Critical. Absolutely critical. I was just, you had to have some trust with people because again, uh, well, numerous times I might fly in or one of my sisters playing. You get to see a young man for two days. You're trying to base what you saw off of two days. Uh, you know, he could have had two great days. He may have two really bad days. So I think you're going to do more research in just those two days that you saw him. So you're going to have to find whether it's, again, a scout, other coaches in the league, that coach, a again, a recruiting service who have reputable people that, that have good uh, evaluation-type skills. And you have to trust those people because, again, sometimes you may only get to see a young man a couple of times. That's probably not enough to, again, really get the full background on how he performs uh, different times of the year, you know, early in the year, late in the year, when he's tired, when he's having a bad week, how does he perform, you know, later. So there's a lot of questions sometimes you got to ask other people and you really need to trust them that they're going to give you an honest opinion because a kid comes to your place, he's there. I mean, there you go. He's there. And uh, uh, you hope you've made the right decisions on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And in the next conversation, we'll talk about some of the other uh, things like, you know, the pitfalls of uh, being over-recruited or scholarships being pulled, uh, some of the other, you know, some of the dark side of recruiting. But, um, you know, with, with that said, I'm curious, you know, you transitioned out of being a head coach at, uh, at Kansas State, um, could have got involved with a number of different opportunities. I'm curious, you know, why, you know, you got involved with, uh, with us at Sports Force and, and what it is and why you're passionate about it. Right. Well, I think, first of all, I, I knew I wanted to do something more to help kids because college baseball and that education, when you're able to combine those two, there's, there's nothing like it. Uh, just a wonderful experience for me, what it provided me, uh, being able to play baseball and relationships and memories and friendships. And then obviously the ultimate thing is to get that education that's provided now for me, so many opportunities in the coaching field by having an education. But uh, I knew I wanted to help kids, um, but doing it by myself was really difficult because I, again, I'm not real good at all the, the skills that are out there right now, particularly from video that, that so many coaches are relying upon now to maybe spark an interest in a young man to see good video of somebody or, again, to get an evaluation with somebody that's reputable um, uh, on a young man that they think could play maybe at a certain level. Um, so, again, I was kind of at the crossroads of what I want to do. I want to help kids. And then, obviously, with Sport Force knowing you from my, from my time at Kansas State and uh, knowing what you all are about, knowing that, again, I think the, the personalized approach that you all have um, that really get to know the, the young man and the parents and get to walk with them through this process uh, more step by step. And uh, I, I think that was really important to me, too, was more a fact of, you know, I can actually pick up the phone and call a dad of somebody that I might be helping and I might be an advisor for. I can talk to the dad, I can talk to the mom, I can talk to the young man. And there's just more of a, a, a personalized approach there as opposed to just, you know, maybe sign them up and they never hear from you again. I didn't want to be involved in that because I wanted to really be a part of helping them make that right decision. Sure, and often being able to, um, 
see the player play in person, you know, um, is another big, big factor as well. And you think about how big of a decision, you know, college is for a family. I mean, it's arguably the largest single investment uh, that parents are going to make in their kids is what school that they choose um, and where they go. And for it to be the best all around fit, avoid potential, you know, transfer issues or other other pitfalls that can happen. Um, I know is, is is a huge part of this process. And let me just wrap it up with the final question. You know, in your in your experience, you know, how big um, of an impact does it make, uh, you know, for a young man um, to be able to have and play college baseball and have that experience, you know, after you know, college is done. I, I'm just curious, how do you see it impacting the lives of these, uh, of these young men? Sure. I, I think again, first of all, just being a part of a team in general is, is about life. You know, the things you have to, to do with the discipline, the accountability, uh, you know, th those are all things that, that I've had young men come back to me and say, Hey coach, man, I really appreciate, you know, the early mornings that we got up and the work ethic you taught because, that has helped me blow past some people in my profession because they don't have the work ethic that, that you helped me establish at Kansas State. And I think that's what it can do for kids. Again, with the things that you learn, um, with, the, with, again, the work ethic, self-discipline, uh, camaraderie, being able to get along with other people, chemistry, relationships, those things are, are going to be with you for a lifetime. And you take that away from you after, after college, then they can really, again, benefit you. And as obviously you have a family, the, the, that experience can, can really benefit you and, and help you have a more positive, uh, obviously, a positive outlook and experience as you go through life. Yeah, and I, I think parents, at the end of the day, they're like, I want my, you know, kids to be happy. I want my kids to be successful. Um, and I know we tell this to a lot of the families that we that we talk to, whether we end up, you know, choosing to work with them or not, is that, um, you know, this is not just about getting, you know, your son recruited. Um, we're really good at that, and, we, and we're going to help that happen and kind of maximize the recruiting offers and choices. But this is about setting up your child uh, for the best possible college academic and athletic experience, and then using you know, college and, they, and that experience is like a springboard for them to set themselves up, you know, for the life of their dreams after college, um, which I think you and I shared the same philosophy that sports is the most, one of the most powerful classrooms, you know, in the world um, for young people to be able to experience. Oh, no question. Again, because of the things that you have to do, um, it's, it's, yeah. it's unique. It is really unique, and, and uh, um, you're under a microscope, and, and uh, you're being evaluated daily, um, not only in the classroom but on the baseball field, and that's the way life is going to be. It's, you know, you're evaluated daily, whether it's by your wife, your, your child, or your boss, your, your people you work with. You're always going to be under a microscope and being looked at, and I think that, that you're in that realm every day in sports and in the classroom when you go to college, and it's, it prepares you for what you're going to have to uh, be involved with after you leave. hundred percent. And well, let's, we'll wrap it up. And I know, you know, coach, you are, you know, actively evaluating, you know, different players, not only in Colorado, but uh, the ability outside. 
and um, you know have the ability to uh, work with a limited number of players each year. Um, I'm curious, you know, where online, um, you know, obviously there's you're, you got a bio on our website, but you have your own personal website. What's that? And then also what's your what's your Twitter account as well? Yeah, it's uh, www.coachbradhill.com. And then the Twitter is at Hitman Club, at the Hitman Club. So I was always a Don Mattingly fan when I was growing up. So he was the Hitman. So mm-hmm. I like to think that uh, that's kind of part of what I'm doing here in Colorado, too, is is helping young men become better hitters. So I just kind of took that away a little bit. <laughs> no doubt. Donnie Baseball. Yep, that's All right. Legend. Well, Coach, thanks for joining us, and um, we'll do this again and kind of dive deeper on some other topics. And uh, if if you're uh, listening as a parent, player, coach, and you want us, you know, to hit other topics or you want us to dive deeper, you want to add a comment um, or a reply to this on, on social media, you know, let us know. Um, we're here to bring, you know, as valuable education to you and, and really the, re- the realities of the college recruiting process um, which, you know, not enough, n- not enough educations out there and, and being talked about. So appreciate you joining us and, uh, coach have a great weekend ahead. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks for being part of the realities of college recruiting podcast and our partner five tool baseball. You can easily subscribe on iTunes and check us out online at Sports Force Baseball for every past episode of our podcast. If you want to ask questions, share insights, and recommend future guests, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Sports Force BB and Facebook under Sports Force Baseball. Be sure to join us on our next episode of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast. And remember, your college decision isn't a four-year one. It's a 40-year one.